right, let's begin with prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, study and uh, go to school and think about the gospel and the Bible. We pray that you would bless us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this is the final lesson on the Apostles' Creed. And so, as uh, we've been doing every week, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together um, because it's meant to be recited together. And then we're going to go on with the lesson which will focus on the last phrase. And so, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, let's read it together, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, so um, I want you to see that there is a kind of symmetry here to the Apostles' Creed, so that at the very beginning it says, God made the heavens and the earth, and there at the end it says, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, and it's really kind of coming full circle because there's the new heavens and the new earth. And so we're going to talk a little bit. So in order to talk about the end, I want to just give you the basic storyline of the Bible. So So here you have four sort of epic moments um, in the story of the Bible, which is uh, creation, Redemption and then a uh, new creation. Okay? So this is the storyline. And um, <coughs> creation ranges what? Genesis one through three. And everything was good in creation, right? Um, there was nothing spoiled. There was no death. But then the fall happened, right? This would be uh, Genesis 3. And so death was introduced. Hi. Um, there's, a, there's more handouts right there. I have multiple color pens, so let me use it. Death was introduced. Okay? And then, uh, this is Christ's redemption, right? And then new creation. And of course, it goes on forever. And then with new creation, you have the restoration. Uh, But even more than the restoration, you have this higher life, this glorified life. So that we're going back to this period where there's no death. Let me say, no death. Or maybe we can say the defeat of death. And, uh, and it's glorious, you know? Creation is beautiful. Humanity is at peace with God. And you can kind of see it on the chart here, but I meant it to be higher than here because it's even better than what it was in the garden, okay? And of course, when Christ came, he 
brought forth this new life, this new creation, because you can see in the passage here, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so this new creation <coughs> began with Christ. Okay? But it's not quite yet, because of course death still reigns. Death reigns all the way through this period. And so... Uh, I, t I try to show it graphically there. It's, it's, it's there, but it's not there. Does that make sense? Death has been defeated with Christ. Uh, sin is gone. We are reconciled with God. We have life again, just like with Adam and Eve in the garden. We have fellowship with God, and yet, not yet. Right? And so there's this uh, phrase that theologians use called, you're ready, but not yet. Okay, this is the already but not yet. And we are right there inside the already but not yet. Okay? So we are already there. We are already in the new creation. But not yet. <laughs> we experience it. You know, we have one foot inside, but we're not there all the way. We're still waiting for it to, to, um, to consummate, to fully bloom. And so... Um, we would say that this right here is the. Uh, we would say this right here is the uh, the first coming of Christ, and this right here is the second coming of Christ. Okay. Now. Uh, so that's the basic storyline. No one disputes it. Everyone in Christianity, all branches, uh, there's a seat all the way here. Um, there's no controversy here. But, you know, it's always fun to bring in a little bit of controversy. <laughs> so we're going to bring in a little bit of controversy, which is uh, millenarianism. Um, and so has anybody heard of uh, the three basic positions uh, on the end, how the story ends. So this is the basic story. Everyone agrees, but there's, a, there's some disagreement. Does anyone know the names of, uh, of the positions other than the two people who went to seminary or going to seminary? On me? Huh? Is one pre-mill? Pre-mill, yes. Pre-mill is actually an abbreviation for premillennialism. Oh, I was not sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can never remember how to spell it. Okay, so there's premillennialism. What's the other positions? Amillennialism, right? Yes, we should close the door when we talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other position? Who knows? Post-millennialism, right. Okay. So, these three positions essentially has to do with the millennium, right? Um, there's a single chapter in the Bible that has caused all this fuss. Actually, it's a lot more than that. But I believe it's Revelation chapter 20. It talks about the thousand years, right? So, there's a thousand year period where it describes in Revelation that Satan is going to be bound 
Um, and yet, and yet, it isn't quite new creation. It's this period where. Welcome, Carrie. Uh, there's a seat right here. <clears throat> Satan is bound. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and God is working, and yet it isn't quite new creation. We aren't quite here where death is completely ended. There, death still is reigning. And so the millennium is somewhere here. Okay? And so it's a big dispute. When is the millennium? And the, uh, the all-male and post-male positions are essentially the same. Okay? The all-male and post-male positions will say... This is the millennium. <clears throat> Basically, we are in it. Does that make sense? Um, right now, from the time of Christ till when Christ comes back, we're in the millennium. The premillennium position is sort of like very different than the other two. And they basically say, no, we're not in the millennium. It's still yet to come. Um, and uh, it happens, it's kind of hard to describe, but it basically happens right before, welcome. It happens right before, so let's just put <coughs> it right here like this. This is the millennium right here, okay? Um, and the reason why it's called uh, premillennialism is because Christ comes before. So, it gets a little complicated, but basically, Christ came here, right? He was born in, that, uh, in Bethlehem. He lived and died in Israel. And then he comes again right here, right before the millennium. And that's why it's called premillennialism. And then there's this thousand-year period, right, where, you know, this whole drama of Israel, uh, and then you have Armageddon, and you have all this, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, and then Christ comes. And so, you know, a lot of people are critical. By the way, I am critical of premillennialism. I'm not premillennial. So I'm going to, you know, give you sort of like the critical interpretation of it. But... It, uh, but essentially what you have is this is the second coming and then this is the third coming. <laughs> of course, you know, premillennials won't say that. They'll say, well, Christ's second coming is in two parts. Well, two parts sounds like number two and three. But, um, <laughs> but Christ comes here and Christ comes here. Does that make sense? And when Christ comes uh, in the premillennial position, he does, um, there, uh, death is still not ended. New creation is not welcomed. It's this millennial period, and then after the thousand years, then he comes again, and then finally death is defeated, new creation, all is restored, beautiful, you know, new world, new reality. Does that make sense? And then all millennial, it's called all millennial because basically uh, the millennium is not really a thousand years, the thousand years is really symbolic, and so we're in the millennium. That's why it's called all mill, right? So this is the all mill. And a thousand years is just uh, a big number, a symbolic big number. Post-mill is the exact same position as Amel in that Christ comes after the millennium. 
right? So here's the millennium, and then Christ comes, there's no like swooping in and picking up people. Um, and why are, you know, <laughs> what's the difference between these two positions? Um, I'm not going to talk about it actually because that would overly compl complexify everything. Um, are there any quick questions <coughs> about that? So I'm going to throw in a little controversy. Uh, and we'll talk about the differences between these, these three positions, and I will try to prove to you that this is the correct <laughs> position. <laughs> these two. I won't, I won't try to settle it between these two, because um, it's actually a, a fairly subtle nuance between these two. Are there any questions? I'll even open it up to the seminarians. Any questions? No? Harry. No? All right. <laughs> All right. So... Let's erase that. He's not coming in the middle. Okay, so here's the basic storyline, okay? Creation, fall, redemption, Christ comes. We are already there in the new creation, but not yet in the new creation, okay? And death reigns from the fall all the way until Christ comes again, and then death is over. There's no death, no more tears, no more mourning, no more tragedy, no more sin and evil. But we will reign uh, in this new, in this new, beautiful creation, this new earth. All right. So uh, let's go to problem number two, or question, uh, point number two, the problem of death. Uh, the fall introduced death into creation. All right. So here's death. Jesus came to defeat death. The new creation is the reversal of death. And so everything that we're talking about here has to do with the problem of death. You can, in many ways, talk about um, uh, uh, Christianity as a religion that specifically is addressing the problem of death. Death is an enormous problem. Death is not something that's natural. Death is not something that we just have to accept and live with. Death is an incredible tragedy. And how will we deal with death? And the Christian story is telling us that one day death will be over. Death will be reversed. Death will, will work backwards and there will be no more death. And everyone who is in Christ will come back to life, more glorious than ever. And so let's read these passages. Uh, sec uh, Genesis chapter 2, Tommy, can you read verse 16? <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil <clears throat> you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There you go. Right? God said the consequence of, of rebellion is death. And of course, Adam failed the test. He ate, and death was introduced. Um, Carrie, can you read Romans 6? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, good. Same thing. First uh, Corinthians, Melissa. Then comes the end when Christ delivers the kingdom, of, kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Okay. This is very, that pa don't, don't flip yet. That passage is very important because what Paul is saying there is that when um, Adam and Eve uh, failed the test, they allied with Satan. Okay? So Satan then rules from this period. Okay? Now, when Christ comes, Christ, of course, defeats Satan, and yet Satan is bound, and yet he's still this raging beast, you know? And, and Satan and death, 
you know, and, and so we see the effects, right? We see wars, we see famine, we see tragedy, we see evil, we see divorce, we see famine. All of these things is because of Satan and because of death. And what Paul is saying is that when Christ comes, he will defeat all the enemies. He defeated them already on the cross and at the resurrection, but it's again, already but not yet, and he will finally defeat them when he comes again at the, uh, in his second coming. And it says what? The last enemy to be defeated is what? Death. I put it in bold. Which is, by the way, why I believe the premillennial position is incorrect. Because it says Christ will come. Christ will come in the middle of history, and yet death is not defeated. He introduces a millennial period, and then he comes again, and then he defeats death. You know? It doesn't seem to jive with 1 Corinthians 15. It says when Christ comes, death will end. All right, I'm going to keep taking pot shots at premillennial throughout the whole lesson, so. <laughs> All right. Any questions there? So that's what Christ is coming. He's coming to defeat death once and for all. Next page. Uh, point number three. The resurrection is the reversal of death when we will gain glorified bodies. All right. So what is this new creation that we're talking about? Philippians 3. Uh, Harry, can you read that for us? Yeah, uh, but our sins, citizenship <laughs> is heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. That's right. Okay, remember the story in the Gospels. Jesus is crucified, and after three days, He is resurrected, right? And when Jesus is resurrected, he is the first fruits of, the, of, of what is yet to come, which is he gains this glorified body. Right? And then remember what happens after 40 days, he goes up to heaven. Do you guys remember what the, doc, the name of that doctrine is? He goes up to heaven. It's called the ascension, right? Okay? And so Christ is now in heaven. And then one day he'll come back. He'll come back down. So Christ is in heaven with his glorified body. And what Paul is saying is that one day Christ will transform our lowly bodies, which is what we have right now. Uh, broken, weak, flabby, ugly. <laughs> and one day we will have glorified bodies. You know? First uh, John 3. Uh, Justin, can you read that? <clears throat> Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Okay, good. So, the ascension, Christ goes up in the ascension with His glorified body, and now He reigns in heaven, and then when Christ comes back down, we will see Him, right? Here's Christ. Okay? He'll come down on the clouds. When we see Him, when He appears... Right? We shall be like Him. And that's when we will gain this glorified body. Um, Colossians 3. Ashley. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is in your life appears... Okay, stop right there. When Christ who is your life appears... So it's talking about the second coming, right? Because is He appearing right now? No, He's hidden. Because He's in heaven. He's ascended. But when He appears... Go ahead. Then you will, you also will appear with him in glory. Good. 
This right here, the, the second coming, new creation, is glory. It's our resurrection. Okay? So this is why this is called the already but not yet. Christ is resurrected. Resurrected life is already here, but not yet. All of us will die. All of us will decay. All of us will experience brokenness and sin and problems. But one day Christ will appear and we will be with him in glory. And, we will, and that will be the resurrection. And so that's what we're talking about. The resurrection is yet to come when Christ appears. Okay. First uh, Corinthians 15. Neiman. <clears throat> I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Okay, stop right there. A couple uh, interesting details. Number one, it tells us that um, we are asleep. Why do you think the Bible describes death as sleep? It's an interesting metaphor. Is it because um, when someone's dead, they look like they're sleeping? That's true. But is that it? Why, why does the Bible describe death as sleep? It's temporary. Yes! Everyone who sleeps eventually wakes up, right? 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 Okay? So everyone who is in Christ who is dead is really asleep. That's really an amazing thing. They're asleep. And one day, the trumpet will sound. And that's the second detail. There's a trumpet. This is my attempt at the trumpet. Okay? A trumpet in the, in, in, in the ancient world, you blow the trumpet when there's exciting news. Pay attention, everyone. Do, 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 do. All the people who are dead, I mean, all the people who are asleep will rise, right, to new life. The trumpet will sound. Uh, go ahead. Uh, it says, uh, who's reading it? Uh, Neiman. For the trumpet will sound. Uh-huh. Oh, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Stop right there. See, so death. So what is Paul talking about? Death is that we're perishable, we're, uh, we're mortal. Mortality, he talks about, right? So because Adam and Eve introduced uh, the fact that we crumble, we fall apart, we die. But when the trumpet sounds, what? The perishable will, will put on imperishable, the mortal will put on immortality. <coughs> That is an amazing statement. That is a, that's a wonderful, beautiful hope and, 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 an, and a glorious ending to the story. Keep going. 54, verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. All right. So this is, this, is, this, is, this is wonderful news. The trumpet will sound, Christ will appear, and we who are perishable will put on the imperishable. It's an amazing story. Are there any questions so far in what we've looked at? No? Okay. Well, we'll talk about more controversial things, so maybe that'll elicit more questions. All right, so the next point there here is, um, there are, this, this Christian story, there, there are really three ways to think about it, and I kind of listed them out. Um, by the way, the word eschatology, 
Does anybody know what the word eschatology... Who has heard of the word eschatology? Raise your hand. Who's heard? Okay, everyone's heard of eschatology. What is eschatology? One of you who raised your hands, what does that mean? The word eschatology. I think, Kay, you raised your hand. Do you know what it means, eschatology? I just heard you talk about it before. I don't remember what it means. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jeff, do you know what eschatology is? The study of end times. Good! So, you know, here you have ology, so that's study. Eschaton means the end, so it's the study of the end, right? So, <coughs> the Christian, the, the end of the, of, the, of the Christian story, there are three ways to look at it. And so, I, I, I call the first position materialism. It's not the best word, uh, because we think, oh, someone who's materialistic likes to buy purses and shoes or something. Um, that's not what I mean by materialism. Um, materialism is the philosophy that this material world is all that there is. Does that make sense? So it's kind of an atheistic position. Um, so a lot of like atheistic scientists hold it. Uh, a lot of secularists hold it. And it's this idea that, you know, uh, have you heard that song, uh, Imagine by John Lennon? Imagine there's no heaven, right? And so it's this idea that this world is all there is. And there's no hope, right? Um, here, I'll put heaven. There's no heaven. There's just earth. And it's this idea that earth is all we have. This life is all we have. Deal with it. <laughs> Don't cry. Suck it up, you babies. And, and try to make the best of it. And um, I, I, I mentioned this guy named Ray Kurzweil. Has anybody heard of Ray Kurzweil? He's such a fascinating character. Nobody's heard of Ray Kurzweil. Come on. <laughs> He invented the uh, keyboard. Have you ever seen the Kurzweil keyboard? No? You have, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Ray Kurzweil is a, what's known as a futurist. He's like this super brilliant uh, scientist guy who like, thinks about the future. And um, he, <clears throat> he's really made popular this idea. I think there are folded chairs. <coughs> um, that uh, in the future there's going to be something called the singularity, which is when computer technology improves at such a rapid pace that we're going to invent an AI that's smarter than us, and they'll take over, and they'll take care of us. Um, and, it'll be the, and it'll be this world in which like nanobots enter into our bloodstream and repair our broken cells. And so it's this whole idea that one day we're going to live forever. And he says it's going to happen in 20 years. So everyone's like, oh, 20 years, we're going to live forever, right? Uh, because we'll never die. Like, if, if your arm breaks off, we'll just grow one in a vat and put it back on you. And, and, it's this, and it's this world in which you'll live forever. And I love what Ray Kurzweil says, because he admits he's afraid of death. Again, the problem of death. And what is the, what is the answer to materialism and atheism gives to the problem of death? There is no answer, but Ray Kurzweil has come up with the best answer, which is maybe with science and medical technology, we'll never die. So that's the hope. Uh, the second position is spiritualism. A lot of people mistaken spiritualism as Christianity, which is really false. And it's this idea that one day the hope is that we will all flee earth and go to heaven. Right? It's this idea of escape. The spiritual world is what really matters. One day we will shed our physical bodies and become spirits. And I think it's really popularized, in my mind at least, in The Simpsons. Right? Every time somebody dies in The Simpsons, you know, they like float up, right? And they're walking in the clouds with God. I don't know why God's like wearing 
you know, sa- like gladiator sandals and a toga. And, you know, he's walking around. And you're like this floaty spirit, right? And it's this idea that the, the, the hope is earth is bad. Physicality, yuck, boogers and snot, right? Ugh, let's get away from it. And one day we will float up to heaven, play harps, you know, and just be these wispy spirits. Um, that is not the Christian position. That is very important for you to understand. That is not the Christian position. The Christian position is the third view, which is called, which I'll call new creation, which is this: that one day, at the second coming, right, heaven will come down to earth, and it will merge, and it will create the new earth. Does that make sense? And so our great hope is not that we're going to escape earth and float up to heaven and become spirits. Our great hope is that heaven will come down to earth. And we will have a physical, embodied reality. Remember, Jesus didn't die on the cross and then come back as a spirit, as a ghost. No, he came back to life as a, with a resurrected body. And we will have a resurrected body. And we will live and reign on earth. A new earth. A renewed earth. And I think a lot of Christians don't realize that. Um, and so, <clears throat> the, the, the position for new creation, so this is, the world is just, it, it is what it is, deal with it. This position is, the world sucks, flee, you know, hold on. It's like those people who, um, um, the Haley Bob, who, who was that cult where they were like waiting for like this UFO to beam them up, right? It's just this whole idea of like, don't get involved in, don't get involved in the brokenness of the world. Like, let's just hold on and wait. It's like, sort of climb up to the prayer mountain and just, God, take me, beam me up. But new creation, the Christian position, is that the world is broken, but one day God is going to heal the world. And therefore, we can be purely engaged. We can be involved in the problems of the world and heal the problems of the world because one day God will renew the world. And this is why, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse, remember what Neiman wrote, read, It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why does God say your labor is not in vain? Because one day, everything that you work for, when you work for justice, when you work for social justice, when you work to end poverty and crime and evil, all of that is for good because it's heading towards a new creation. And so that's the mission of Christians on this earth. We are in the already but not yet. We are trying to move towards the new creation. And of course in this life it will never happen. But we're moving towards it. And then one day Jesus will come and it will happen. And that's, that's the Christian story. That's the Christian hope. Any questions? Any comments? Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready to go out there and be engaged and to be salt and light in this world? Not hoping that one day we're going to be zapped up. You know, a lot of times, um, and you know, I hear this all the time at IGC, but people say, like, this world isn't our home. That's sort of true. But they say, oh, this world isn't our home. One day we're waiting to go home. Um, I feel like that language is sometimes close to this. Do you know what I'm saying? And we should say that this world is broken, and it's not our home in the sense that Satan reigns and death reigns, but this world will become our home in the sense that God will renew it and restore it. And so, 
we need to be very careful to say, oh, this world, you know, we're just living here for 60 odd years and one day we're going to go to heaven. No, that's not the hope. The hope is not we're going to go to heaven. The hope is that we're going to have new creation. And so why does the Bible talk about going to heaven? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when you're in the already but not yet and you die, okay, your body goes down into the grave, right? And it decomposes. But your spirit goes up to heaven, okay? Your soul goes up. But it's waiting. This is like a temporary period. When Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what he was talking about. You're going to be with me in heaven, but one day, Jesus will come back and the dead will rise. Everyone's dead bodies will be resurrected and will enter into the new creation. So the goal and the hope isn't that we quote-unquote go to heaven. The goal is that we go to new creation. You know, and I wish Christians would talk about that in a more explicit way, because a lot of times people say, well, I want to be saved and I want to leave earth and go to heaven. No. I want to be saved, and even now I'm already in it, but I want to enter the new creation. That's the goal. Okay? All right, let's go on to the next page. Here we're getting into a little bit more controversy. So the biblical support for new creation. Um, what about Acts 1, 9 through 11, right? Because I've been saying so far, we're not going up to heaven. Heaven's going to come down to earth, and we're going to be in this new creation. What about Acts 1, 9? Who, who is next? Karen, can you read that, please? And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Very good. And so this is what happens in Acts 1, right? Um, in the ascension, here's a cloud. And then here's Jesus. And he's being whisked up into heaven on a cloud. And so, people say, well, then there it is, right? Isn't that what we're expecting and hoping? That we, like Jesus, are going to go onto the cloud and be whisked up into heaven. And my answer is, <clears throat> no, <coughs> because look at the last verse. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, what does it say next? Will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, he'll come back down on a cloud from heaven back to earth and usher in the new creation. Okay? And so heaven is not the goal. New creation is the goal. And so here's the proof. Okay? Anytime, you know, the, this, is the, this is the proof that this ends the argument. Revelation 21. Um, Hannah, can you read it, please? Um, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, stop right there. So, this is the vision, okay? This is the great hope of Christianity and the Christian story in the Bible, is that heaven will come down, right? And it's a city, right? It has skyscrapers in my mind. It's this really, it's, it's this beautiful city called New Jerusalem, And this is very significant. You know, it's not a mistake that it's called New Jerusalem because there was an old Jerusalem, right? Right here. 
And Jerusalem was a kind of uh, picture or foreshadow or, 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 or a type, you know, that Jerusalem is where God dwells on earth. And so, you know, you could think of it like this, right? Here, here, here's timeline of, of, of human history, and then here's heaven, right? And in Jerusalem, you had this like vortex where heaven and earth met, right, in the temple, okay? But of course, the, the, the earthly Jerusalem failed because the people of God, the Israelites, rebelled against God. And so what happened to the old Jerusalem? It got sacked, it got destroyed, it got burned to the ground by the Babylonians. But God says, don't you realize that was just a picture of the real reality, the new Jerusalem which is in heaven, right? Because the old Jerusalem was a picture of the new Jerusalem, okay? And then one day the new Jerusalem will come down, and then I love this imagery, right? It says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, heaven and earth will marry, and so no longer will it be this little thin little vortex. It'll be completely coming down and heaven and earth will merge. And it'll be this new creation. Okay? And then verse 3, uh, who is reading? Hannah, can you just read it? And I heard a vo- loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. Death is no more. That's what we're talking about. Second coming. New creation. Glory. Resurrection. All right. Next passage. This is the <coughs> controversial passage. And it's fun. Let me poke an eye on premillennialism. Because um, this, is, this is the key text, okay? All right. <coughs> First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me read it for you guys. <clears throat> but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, right? Uh, sleep is Christians who are dead. <clears throat> that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, right? Because when people die, actually I have a neighbor whose father died. And he's not a believer. And so he's grieving, but he's, he has no hope that he'll never see his father again. That's what he thinks. He'll never see his father again. But we have a hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Right? Bring with him. For, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive. And so we're talking about when the second coming happens, there will be people who are still alive. Right? Because human history goes on. So we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is a very controversial passage, because this is where you get... This idea, this teaching of what? Does anybody know? Rapture. Rapture, yes. So, there is this, there is this teaching called the rapture. And it comes from uh, verse 17, where it says, 
then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. The Latin translation, actually, I don't exactly remember, but the Latin translation is like repare or something like that. And so that's where we get the word rapture. Rapture means to be caught up. And so everyone's heard of the rapture, right? The rapture is this idea that Jesus will come and then all the believers will be whisked up to heaven, right? It's like beam me up. Um, and, and, and they'll be in heaven with, with, with Jesus, right? That Jesus is coming to whisk them up into heaven. Um, and this, the, the idea of the rapture goes hand in glove with premillennialism. Because premillennialism is this idea that Jesus will come back, but he will not introduce the new creation. He will not end death. He will come to rapture the church so that once the church is evacuated from earth, biblical prophecy can play out. Israel and the Jews, you know, can have this battle with the pagan nations and have Armageddon and everything a thousand years, and then he will come back, right? This idea of the rapture is deeply, deeply flawed for several reasons, okay? And so here is, uh, here's my argument, here's my defense. If you look at verse 15, right? It says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord. This word coming, right? You know, it, it has this generic sound to it, coming. It's, it's, it's actually a Greek word, very significant Greek word. The seminarians, do you guys know which Greek know. word it is? No, Hannah, you don't know? Harry, do you know the Greek word? First letter. <laughs> P. No, no, P. How about the second letter of P-A? Are you so mouthing it? Maybe we can mouth together. It'll come together. P-A-R? Keep going, keep going. Keep going. I'm just mouthing it for you. Parousia. Parousia, okay? This is a very, okay, you've heard of it, right? You've both yeah. heard, right? Parousia, very, very significant word, okay? Every time it says, it speaks of Jesus' coming, uh, the, the, the biblical writers use this word parousia, okay? Parousia. Now, that is not just like some sort of generic word, coming. It had a very, very technical, specific meaning in the ancient world. Uh, the parousia refers to a king. Okay, it refers to a king. When the king comes into the city, right? And so here's the, here's the city, and then here comes the king. It's called the parousia. It's, when he, it's also called like the visitation or when he arrives. And when the king comes into the city, what happens? The city rejoices. The city celebrates. And what do they do? They welcome him, right? They, like, do a little parade, you know? And they line up on the streets, and as the, as, and as the king comes in to see, everyone's like, ah, the king is here, the king is here. And usually, the king comes into the city after defeating an enemy, right? And so, he conquers the enemy, and then he marches into the city, usually with his captives, marching in front of him. And then he's also bringing with him what? Booty. 
Right, he's like big wagon fulls of gold. Everyone's like, yeah, because you know why? We're gonna get some, right? And yeah, we defeated the enemy because the enemy threatened to kill the city. But the king's like, no, I defeated the enemy for you, and I brought the booty, you know, so they're coming in, right? Now listen to me, okay? Listen, this passage, okay? What is this passage talking about? It's talking about the parousia, okay? And in the parousia, when the king comes, do the people of the city come out? And then the king turns around and goes back out? No! Does the king like come halfway into the city? The people come out and the king's like, cool, let's go around and go back out into the field. No! Right? The king comes into the city. The king comes, Jesus comes into earth. He's staying. He's not like coming midway to whisk people out. Okay, a couple more, couple more um, proofs, okay? Look at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that word to meet is another technical word. It's not a generic word to meet. And it's a very specific word which means to greet the king. Right? And so this rapture that people are so excited about is a complete misinterpretation. The re when, when Jesus comes down... Um, on the cloud. He's coming, and we're going to meet him in the air. Does that make sense? We're going to go out, we're going to come up into the air to usher the king into the city, which is New Jerusalem, which is earth. It's not that we're going to be whisked away. And here's the final proof. Um, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, listen, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Where do you hear the trumpet? Do you hear the trumpet in this mid-level? Mid when Jesus, no, the trumpet announces the end of Satan, the end of death. The trumpet is the second coming, the ushering of new creation. And so this passage is not talking about believers being raptured up, this passage is talking about Jesus coming down to join his people, to live with his people forever in the new creation. <clears throat> the other thing I would say is, nowhere in this passage does it say that God will, Jesus will whisk us up into heaven. It just says that Jesus comes down in heaven and we will meet him in the air to usher him back down with us. Any questions? So this is probably the most, like I'm poking an eye in the pre-millennial view. There's so much literature out there that's, you know, going crazy on this idea of the rapture. Actually, I, I, I remember I used to really, because um, <clears throat> the pre-millennial view used to be the position that my church taught, and there's the only position, I didn't know there was any other position. So I used to have a bumper sticker that I put on my <coughs> car, it says, uh, uh, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen. Um, and uh, any questions or any thoughts? I thought you had a different bumper sticker. Me? Yeah. No, that was the only Christian bumper sticker I ever had. I had a rapture bumper sticker. <laughs> Don't they say a bachelor till the rapture? <laughs> yes, that's, that's an, I think that's Wayne's bumper sticker, right? <laughs> any questions or comments? No? Wait, I have, I have one. So wait, for us, verse seventeen, like, how 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 do you, like, 
deal with that again. So, uh, okay, so then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So them is Jesus, and he's bringing all the souls from heaven, right? All the people who have died in, in history who are waiting for the resurrection. Uh-huh. And so we, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so the rapture argument is that Jesus, right. um, if I can graphically display it, here's earth. And then Jesus comes down <coughs> with all, you know, the hosts, all the souls. And he's coming down. And this idea that we who are believers, right, mm-hmm. will be raptured up. And then Jesus will go back to heaven. Uh-huh. So that's the argument for the rapture. The rapture. And premillennialism. Because the whole idea of premillennialism is founded on this idea that Jesus will come to rapture the church, Gentile believers, out of earth, evacuate them, so that this drama of Israel and ethnic Jews can play out. Uh, All millennialism, postmillennialism says nonsense. This rapture passage in 1 Thessalonians is talking about the final second coming. Oh. And so that when Jesus comes down from heaven and the believers are caught up with Jesus in midair, it's this. The king is coming. And we greet him. And we line up in the skies. And we're cheering. We're saying, hey, the king is coming back. And we usher him back down into the city. Oh, I see. Right? The, the word parousia uh, signifies that the motion is uniform. It's going in one direction. He doesn't do a U-turn. No king does a U-turn. <laughs> what kind of king is that? He's a very confused king. Okay? <laughs> the king comes down, his people come out to greet him, to usher him into the city. So both awe and post believe that it's one way. That's correct. And then pre- because, because awe and post-millennialism says, why would Jesus come in the middle of history? to whisk the, 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 the Gentile church out. No. When Jesus comes, death will be over, the trumpet will sound, new creation, resurrection, glory. That's it. It's a very simple storyline. So a lot of times people say, um, have, you, have you guys ever heard of Occam's razor? Who's the science guy? Neiman. What is Occam's razor? Pressure on you. You don't get to med school if you don't answer this. <laughs> Occam's razor. No? Ooh, Jeff, you must know Occam's razor. Oh, I've heard of it. Occam's razor is that the simplest explanation is usually correct. Right? And so, all millennialism, post-millennialism is the simplest explanation. Because you have a very simple storyline. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation, Jesus comes back. That's it. Premillennialism has a very complicated storyline. Creation, fall, redemption. Jesus' first, second coming raptures the new believer, raptures the Gentile church. Millennial prophecy fulfillment. Second, second coming. Then new creation. Very complicated. And then I haven't even talked to you guys about like seven years tribulation. Is it before or after the rapture? You know, what happens? Is it extremely complicated? This chart looks 20 times more complicated under the premillennial view. And so I would just say Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is usually <laughs> correct. <laughs> but in any case, any question? Or does that answer your question yeah. about yeah. what's going on here? Yeah. Okay. 
So if anyone says, you know, when people say to me, do you believe in the rapture? I say, of course I believe in the rapture. You mean the parousia, right? <laughs> but, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, um, let me just say very quickly here, uh, you know, I'm making fun of and poking an eye with premillennialism. These guys are our brothers. No, I'm very serious. I'm very yeah, serious. The majority, the majority of evangelical Christians are premillennial. Okay, so are they heretics? Absolutely not. Um, are they confused? Yes. But are they true believers? Absolutely. And so I love them. I respect them. Uh, 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 so many great Christians are premillennial. So don't you know? Don't let my tone sort of make you go, you know, oh, you're premillennial, you dumb person. No, I'll slap you if you say that, okay? Um, um, uh, all of us can get along. And, I've, and I, I don't know if you guys remember when we talked about confessionalism, this idea that we, we hold to confessions. The confessions don't actually talk about these three positions. Three, these three positions came about after the confessions were written. Premillennialism is only 150 years old, by the way which is another argument for why it's kind of suspect. But, but, but it's, it's a new position, and, and, and the confessions don't talk about it, and so we can show charity. And so we can say, hey, this is relatively a peripheral issue. I mean, the basic storyline is a, agreed. Christ will come back, death will be over, new creation. Premillennials, amillennials, postmillennials will all say, amen. The only question is, what about the millennium, what about the rapture? I mean, that's a relatively small issue. Rapture is one chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Millennium is only one chapter, Revelation chapter 20. I mean, we can be at peace. But, you know, it is kind of silly. Anyways, any questions or comments? Did the idea of dispensationalism come at the same time around pre-mill? Yes, dispensationalism and pre... There's another position called historic premillennialism. <laughs> I don't want to even talk about that. It gets overly complicated, but the vast, like 99% of premillennials are what's called dispensational premillennialism. Dispensationalism and premillennialism go hand in glove because dispensationalism is this whole idea that the church and Israel are separate, and the reason why the rapture has to happen is because uh, the church can't be on earth when prophecy in Israel happens. So they're whisked out, and Israel plays itself out. The amillennial and postmillennial views are closely tied to covenant theology, which is Israel and the church. It's one people, and so there's no need to whisk one people out because everything is being fulfilled. Again, Occam's razor. Easy explanations usually. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful story of how it ends, that one day death will be over. And Lord, we know so many people who have passed away, but we know that they're asleep. And one day, you will take their hands and you will say, it's time to wake up. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Uh, help us to work and labor, not in vain, uh, for that day. <clears throat> we pray this in Christ's name.